everyone, this is Danny, and welcome to the third podcast, which is going to be looking at the second chapter of the novel, The Second Night. So like always, please make sure that you are making notes as you listen to this podcast so that you're able to build your resources and also to ensure that you're taking in all the information. Like always, if you have any questions or concerns, please feel free to get into contact with me with Facebook or email or in class. I'll be more than happy to help you out with any questions that you have. Right at the end of chapter one, Balram reveals to the reader that he has slit the throat of his master and that is the crime that he has committed. And chapter two picks up right where he left off. So chapter two is another letter to Wenjabao and it's basically picking up right where he left off and he says that, Oh, I could go on and on about myself, sir. This is on page 37. I could gloat that I'm not just any murderer, but one who killed his own employer, who is a kind of second father, and also contributed to the probable death of all of his family members, a virtual mass murderer. We'll get to the fact that he mentions that he's probably committed, that he's probably contributed to the death of his own family. But it's actually pretty important to go back a little and look at that idea that he killed his master, who was kind of a second father, in this society, the bond between a master and a servant is meant to be something that, well, maybe not sacred, but it's meant to be incredibly important. It's something that a servant and a master should honour. Like, a servant should be grateful that a master is paying for them, housing them, clothing them, feeding them. And they're supposed to look up to the master as being almost like a father figure. And in murder, murdering his master... Balram has violated that. He's violated that idea of the relationship between a master and a servant. And it's a really important note to make that in killing his master, Balram has violated tradition and he's violated the relationship that's meant to exist between the pair of them. But we'll get more to that later. Um, chapter 2 sort of details Balram's rise from working... Um, working basically in labour, cracking coal to a tea shop, to becoming a driver. And chapter 2 has lots of good information about how Balram begins to transform himself. That's the thing about Balram. He's constantly transforming and changing. Like I said in the second podcast, he changes his name. He's Balram, he's Mana, he's the white tiger. He changes his location, so Bangalore, Dunbar. He also changes his personality as he goes. He becomes, in my view anyway, he becomes darker and darker as the novel progresses. And the book can be read as that, you know. It is meant to be Balram's life story and it's meant to be the story about India. But it's also a coming-of-age story. Balram changes and develops as the story goes on. So the story is just as much about him as it is about everything else. Balram describes to the Premier that he wound up living in Dunbar, another city in India, after the death of his father. So his father was suffering from tuberculosis, which is an illness in the lungs. And because Lesmanag didn't have a hospital, he had to help move his father to Dunbar, a bigger city. And Balram actually describes to the reader or to um, the Premier his father's death. And it's absolutely horrific. 
almost as horrific as the death of his mother. And I think that the death of his father is also incredibly important because it gives Balaam another kick in the direction that he has to start taking control of his own life, that he has to try making his own destiny in his own way how he can. So I'll just read to you the little bit where Balram describes the death of his father and we can see just how gruesome it was for him to die. So on page 42, Balram describes um, him and his brother waiting for a doctor to come so that the doctor can try and take care of his father, but he did not. Around 6 o'clock that day, as the government ledger had no doubt accurately reported, my father was permanently cured of his tuberculosis. So he died. The ward boys made us clean up after father before we could remove the body. A goat came in and sniffed as we were mopping the blood off the floor. The ward boys petted her and fed her a plump carrot as we mopped our father's inflicted blood off the floor. So you can see how absolutely horrific it is that this goat is able to wander into the hospital where they're trying to help heal their father. There you can see how the poor are treated in this world and maybe we can begin to see even more seeds for that resentment that Balram has towards the upper classes in the text and we can see why he has that anger and maybe on some level um, feel empathy for him and compassion at this stage of the novel anyway. Uh, so Balram describes that after his father died, things started to change a bit more for him. He begins working in a tea shop and his cast the Hawaii, which we'll go into later, and again, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, I think it's Hawaii, uh, they're known as being sweet makers. So working in a tea shop is, you know, basically what he's supposed to do. But one day Balram overhears someone saying that, you know, someone working as a driver in the city is capable of making much more money than what Balram is making in the tea shop. He describes Dunbar, the city, like this on page 44. There was money in the air in Dunbar. I saw buildings with sides made entirely of glass and men with gold in their teeth. And all of this glass and gold, all of it came from the coal pits. And Balaram longs desperately to, you know, seek out his own fortune. He wants to make money. He wants to be successful. And he decides that he's going to try and do it by becoming a driver which after a lot of effort and, you know, engineering, he manages to do. So I'm not going to go through all those moments in the chapter. You can read it for yourself. But ultimately, Balram is successful and he does become a driver. And there's this really interesting moment in Chapter 2 where Balram's describing his cast to someone that asks about him. The driver asks on page 47, what cast are you? This idea of caste is something that we've gone through in class, but it's basically where are you in the social ladder? Like, who are you in the social ladder? What are you meant to be? Your caste gives that signal to people of where you are. And Balram replies, Halwai, sweet makers, the old driver said, shaking his head. That's what you people can do. You can make sweets. So you can see just from that example how a cast actually signals to people what you are and what you're capable of. So if you're like Balram and unfortunately born to the lower cast, it means that you're not going to get many opportunities. And fortunately for Balram, after a lot of effort, he winds up becoming employed as a driver to the stork. The stork is one of the landlords that he describes in chapter two, sorry, in chapter one 
who basically rule over his village. So he's very lucky in getting this job. And it's really interesting because on page 50 when Balram describes going to the stork's house for the first time and he lays eyes on Mr. Ashok who's soon to become his master, he says that he knew instantly that Mr. Ashok was the master for him. He knew it like deep in his heart. He knew that they were meant to sort of be together. And Balram describes on page 50, some dark fate had tied his lifeline to mine because at that very moment, Mr. Ashok, he looked down. And I think that that's a really interesting thing to take note of, this idea of fate. Balram almost seems to think he was fated at times to do what he does to Mr. Ashok, that he was fated to slit his throat, that he and Ashok were fated to be together in a way. So it's just another interesting point. But Balram, when he begins working for the stork and for Ashok, he's asked by the stork about his cast. And Balram describes it to to the premiere and also to the reader. So what he says about his, ta- his cast is on page 53. He says, See, Halwai, my name, means sweet maker. That's my cast, my destiny. Everyone in the darkness who hears the name knows about me all at once. See, in this country, in these days of greatness, when it was the richest nation of earth, was like a zoo, a clean, well-kept, orderly zoo. Everyone his place, everyone happy. Goldsmiths here, cowherds there, landlords there. The men named Halwai made sweets. The man named Cowherd tended cows. The untouchables cleaned feces. Landlords were kind to their serfs. Women covered their heads with a veil and turned their eyes to the ground when talking to strange men. So I just made it over to page 54 and I paraphrased some of it. So there Balram is describing India before the English left, this idea that caste systems made society incredibly orderly. Everyone knew where they were meant to be. But Balram describes that after August 1947, the day that the British left, so this is just on page 54, a little bit further along, he says that their whole social structure began to change. He says that that was all that counted now, the size of your belly. It didn't matter whether you were a woman or a Muslim or an untouchable. Anyone with a belly could rise up. To sum it up, in the old days there were 1,000 castes and destinies in India. These days there are just two castes, men with big bellies and men with small bellies, and only two destinies, eat or get eaten up. So now India, in Balram's eyes at least, has become this kind of land of survival of the fittest, like the strongest and the toughest and the most intelligent, the, the entrepreneurs. They're the ones that are able to climb to the top of the social structure. And that's what Balram wants to do. He desperately, desperately wants to rise. After all, like a little bit above that quote I just read out, he says, That's why I was cheated out of my destiny to be fat and creamy skinned and smiling. Balram honestly believes that he deserves these things. He deserves to be fat. He deserves to be wonderful. He he, he has the right to be privileged. And he feels robbed that he hasn't been born into that. And he's determined to seize it for himself.
So as Balaram is hired by the stork, he begins to describe what life was like and he is able to become part of the family, well not really like the family, but he's able to become part of the fabric inside the house and he describes what life is like. Balaram becomes second servant, so he's not even the most important servant. He's only allowed to drive the Honda Civic, the not as good car. Ram Passad, he's the first servant. He's the one that's able to take out the fancier car. And those sorts of social structures within the world of this house is important. So they're both servants, but one is the more important servant. And Balram hates that. He hates not being the most important servant, and he strives to become it. So one day, Mr. Ashok asks, asks Balram to drive him back to Luxemburg because they're having a conversation about the fact that both of them were born in the village, Ashok and Balram, and they grew up there. And Ashok decides that he wants to go back to the village and see it. So Balram drives him. And Balram meets with his family for the first time since he's taken up this job. And he's meant to be sending them back money, but he doesn't do it, which is perhaps a signal for Balram's selfishness. And Balram's grandmother says that she's going to have him married to a young girl as an arranged marriage. And Balram strikes back. He fights against his family. He doesn't want to feel obligated to them. He doesn't want to marry who they want him to marry. He wants to be free, and I think he wants to strike out on his own. And it's a really important moment where he rejects his family because it sort of signals that Balram's all about the individual. He's not about the family. He's about being Balram and being individual and being separate from people, you know, like a white tiger. He doesn't want to be beholden to anyone and he doesn't want to do anything for them. He wants to exist on his own, be powerful on his own, which is really interesting and tells you a lot about his personality. He's not like the rest of his family who work together to survive. He does it for himself. And some people would look at that and view Balram as being incredibly selfish and horrible for that. Balaram actually describes on page 74 that part of the reason why he's rejecting his family is because I couldn't stop thinking of Kishan's body. That's Kishan is his brother who's already been married off. They were eating him alive in there. They would do the same thing to him that they did to father, scoop him out from the inside and leave him weak and helpless until he got tuberculosis and died on the floor of a government hospital, waiting for some doctor to see him, spitting blood on this wall and that. And Balram doesn't want that to happen to him. He doesn't want to be like his parents. He wants to be something completely different. And he's prepared to sacrifice everything that he has to in order to make it happen for himself. Balram describes that on the way back from the village when he's driving Mr. Ashok and Pinky Madam, not sure if I've mentioned her yet, but that's Mr. Ashok's wife. He describes driving Pinky Madam and Mr. Ashok back from the um, Luxmanag and they see him rub his eyes and Mr. Ashok wrongly assumes that that means that Balram's praying. Ashok's a really interesting character because he likes to think that he's incredibly, um, incredibly intelligent and kind and, you know, loving towards servants and I guess more evolved than what his father the stork is but the reality of Ashok is very much different from how he views himself but he describes on page 78 Balram that the two of them kept an eye open for every tree or temple we passed by and turned to me for a reaction of piety so being religious 
which I gave them, of course, and with growing elaborateness, first just touching my eye, then my neck, then my clavicle, and even my nipple, they were convinced that I was the most religious servant on earth, which is completely false. Balram is not religious at all. But it's interesting because we, we as the reader or, you know, the premier, we get these letters from Balram and we're able to see into his darkest, secret, most private thoughts. To everyone else in the novel... Balram appears to be like a faithful servant, at least to Akok. He appears to be this faithful stu- this faithful servant who's prepared to do anything that his master tells him. But as the reader, we know very differently, which is a really interesting device or a really interesting way that Adiga has framed the text. And that's something that you could absolutely make note of when you're doing an essay on this novel. So that brings us to the end of Chapter 2, and Balram concludes, it's 2.44am, the hour of degenerate drug addicts and Bangalore-based entrepreneurs. So that brings us to the end of this chapter. And if you have any questions or concerns at all, please feel free to get into contact with me. I'll be more than happy to go through anything with you. So please make sure you listen to the next podcast. Thanks.